preciousness of who Jesus is and the reward of what it means to be in relationship with him truly is what we're focusing on tonight. We are back in the Beatitudes, and I want to say thank you to Josh Smith, who filled in for me last week while I was on vacation and doing a wedding in Central California. Uh, and uh, it seems like every time I'm speaking, I have to be inside. Uh, I don't know what's going on with uh, all those things that are working in tandem with one another. But regardless, we are back in the Beatitudes. Now, why did we choose this series? We're in this series called Let It Rain, and it's based off of verse 45, chapter 5 in Matthew, where it says Jesus' words that God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. We're in this focused time right now in our nation of turmoil. And the word justice is a prolific statement that we hear over and over and over. And so months back, I was praying about what we would do next. Uh, we had come out of our Misunderstood God series and really leaning on the Lord. And he placed it on my heart to say, give the people something they can follow, some answer in the midst of whether it's COVID or whether it's the turmoil, whatever that is, your people need to hear the words of Jesus Christ. They need to know the shepherd's voice. The sheep need to follow the shepherd. And so I thought, well, let's go to the Beatitudes and what a challenge this has been. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it, and yet he doesn't ask anything of us that he himself did not, in fact, do. You see, he preached this sermon uh, on a mountainside above the lake, there in Galilee. And as he did so, he was forecasting how he would approach his ministry. Everything that he says, whether it's being pure in heart, whether it's being merciful, all of those aspects, Jesus would accomplish. And yet we look at how the structure is of these Beatitudes, and it teaches us much. I was thinking especially uh, being gone this past week, how uh, this little Pinocchio, that I, I actually bought it in Florence off of a wagon in a square, and the wagon said Stromboli's right on it. I kid you not. And so it's kind of a marketing thing, I'm sure. But uh, I, I thought, you know, let's pick up a little wooden Pinocchio and, and be as uh, authentic as we can. Why do I have it here? I'm horrible at using it, so it can't be because I'm going to do a puppet show, and many of you are breathing some nice, relaxed breaths of, of joy that I will not be attempting that. The reason I have it is because it's emblematic of what's happening to so many of us. You see, we're being manipulated. We're being manipulated within our families. We're being manipulated by... Uh, government, we're being manipulated by pastors, we're being manipulated by movements, we're being manipulated by the media, and it's a dangerous game. And so old Pinocchio is up here to give us a reminder, be very careful who you let pull your strings. And tonight, as we finish up, this is actually part B to the last time I preached, and it really is an extension of the first part 
it's not like there's another beatitude here that we're following up. It's just a rephrasing of the last one we talked about concerning persecution. So let me read that real quickly, and then we'll launch in Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when people insult you. We've seen a lot of that recently, haven't we? And I'm not sure how many of us feel blessed when we're getting insulted. But Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you. Now, not just for the sake of being insulted. Keep following his instruction. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And wait for it. Because of me. Because of me. Now this is very similar to the prior verse or the prior scripture where it talks about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. The difference here is that Jesus makes it personal. We've all heard that statement, right? It's just business. It's not personal. Well, Jesus says this time it's personal. He says everything here in verse 11 that he says in verse 9 and 10. Except he rephrases it. He makes it personal to you. And so you're going to hear tonight in the sermon over the next half hour. I'm going to use the phrasing of personal pronouns. You. We. Because this is what Jesus did. He used it as a point of emphasis. It's the only beatitude where he repeats himself. Repeating oneself in scripture had everything to do with points of emphasis. It's. Wake up, I really need you to get this part. Jesus gave us what we needed to know as believers in faith to handle such a time as this. And he goes on and says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray and ask for guidance. Lord God, give us understanding with what we're about to hear. This is a a flashpoint for many who will be listening to this sermon. It's a flashpoint for myself. And yet, Father, we desperately need that true north in our life. We, we need to know the way of peace. We need to know the way of justice, and you promised that to us. So let us learn from the examination of your scriptures tonight and let us apply that so that we can rejoice we can experience that great reward. We can be blessed even though people insult us, persecute us with every kind of evil. It seems like a tall order, Father, but yet your Son promises the ability to be blessed in the midst of it. So open our eyes, open our hearts, Father, in your name. Amen. You know, there's an interesting structure to the Beatitudes, and tonight we finish the actual Beatitudes... And then we're going to continue on in chapter 5, which is exciting because what we see in the Beatitudes are principles. And there's a rhythm to those principles. And the way that it's structured is important. And I'll give you that structure in just a minute. But where you get the principle over the next uh, ensuing month, month and a half, we're going to see now how do we practice that. Jesus knew that the principle would stand on its own because it's God's standard. But he knows that for many of us, we struggle with the idea of, how do I apply this? 
So he gives us some examples, and we'll be going through that in uh, the weeks to come. So understand that there's, there's order to the Beatitudes, and it, it, it kind of reveals what Jesus is trying to do, and, and we've not spoken about that yet. So let me just point this out real quickly. First of all, it starts with the promise of the kingdom of heaven, and it ends with the promise of the kingdom of heaven. This is priority. This is to help set our mind, set my mind, set your mind on what truly is important and what is waiting for us. How many of you look forward to when the county and the state say, you are free to do whatever you want? We're waiting with bated breath. We're clicking as much as we can to find out how close are we. We're looking at the metrics, right? Oh, that we would do that with that level of anticipation for heaven. It is no mistake that Jesus emphasizes it at the beginning and the end, saying this is paramount. This is the most important thing. Get your mind wrapped around this because this is what's at stake. This is the reward. This is where you are going when you follow me. So it starts with the kingdom of heaven. It ends with the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it, it, the, the first part, the first four Beatitudes have everything to do with a deepening of our relationship with God. When you look at those, blessed are the poor in spirit, it talks about this deep understanding of the desperateness of our heart. We cannot know God unless we're willing to look at our own heart and say that there is sin there. That as, as someone from the King's English would say, I have a lowly estate. There is not enough merit within myself that God should say, Oh, you're good enough. Come, enjoy heaven. Instead, it requires that we look at our, our lowly estate, our humble estate. We humble ourselves and therefore see our need for Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, so then redemption happens between us and God. So the first four Beatitudes lead us to a deep, deeper relationship with God. The, the next four have everything to do <clears throat> excuse me, with our relationship with mankind. They are, are transverse in nature. And so God is saying, get it right, get the priorities right, get right with me first before you try to get right with all of mankind. You know, this is the inherent problem with what's happening around our nation. We want to exact laws. We want to legislate morality. We can't do that, folks. We have plenty of laws that, that speak to, and we'll, get, we'll circle back to this, that speak to uh, the whole civil rights that came out of the 60s, had everything to do with tampering down and discrediting those deep-seated perspectives of racism. We legislated it, and yet it still exists. My friends, it will never cease to exist until we first get right with God. That's why you keep seeing this happen over and over and no march, no amount of money, no law 
is going to change the hearts of mankind because of sin. And so there is a priority to the Beatitudes. Get your heart right with God first. Then he says it is important that we get ourselves right with mankind around us. And because we have Christ in us, because we have these principles in us, then we can efficiently and effectively change our world and change the world around us. But brothers and sisters, until we get on this train, we're never going to arrive at that station. We're never going to arrive at that station. So the title of the sermon tonight is, This is War. Wow, that's pretty intense. But if you've been watching the news, somebody once uh, uh, recently put something up that I saw, and they compared pictures from, I think it was three years ago, in Fallujah. And they compared it to a city uh, in Minnesota. And it looked identical. This is war. But I would contend this war has been happening since the beginning. And I will do my best to explain why I see that. So let me break down what I mean by this is war. And, and how do we... How do we deal with that? Because Jesus says, look, if you follow me, you're going to be insulted. If you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. If you follow me, there are going to be those who falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Do we know that to be true? Absolutely. Did it happen to Christ? Yes. Did it happen to his disciples? Yes. Did it happen to the church? Yes. Is it currently happening now? Absolutely. I'll bring up some of that shortly, but we have to keep going back and looking at what we're studying tonight, that if you follow Christ, you will suffer. He is calling us out. He's already talked about the idea of being persecuted for righteousness' sake, but now he challenges us. It's as if he's looking through the camera right now, my friends, and saying, if you do this, you will suffer, but you, you will also be blessed. So much so that you will be able to rejoice and be glad in the midst of that suffering. We see that with Stephen. We see that with the early disciples. We see that with Mary. And on and on. And the early church. So let me do this. We're going to use an, an acronym tonight with the word war. So three points. Which way are you going? This sounds like Jeopardy. Which way are you going? Acrimony in your shadow. And righteousness is your banner. Which way are you going? Well, I, I want to show you something real quickly here. Just a, a little experiment, if you will. Um, I've got some water up here to help me. Uh, in case you get a little dry mouth, you know, smoky outside. Um, that's very helpful. Oops, I spilled right onto this really fake wood. I hope it doesn't get damaged. Now, which one would you use to clean that up? I have a, I have a just very ordinary paper towel right here. And I have a knife fashioned of some of the best Swiss stainless steel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and place this right in that water. 
didn't move at all. Still there, not doing anything, knife's not complaining, nothing. I pull this out and there's the tiniest speck of water on here, but for the most part this knife is the same as when it went into that water. Now you all know what's going to happen here, right? You're like, ooh, this is a fantastic illustration. This is brilliant. I can't believe he thinks of these things. So I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to just lightly place this. Now this is completely dry. It looks fresh. It looks good. It's unadulterated. I'm just going to go ahead and barely touch. And it's just, even the part I'm not putting in, that water is soaking right. You can picture it, right? Because you can't see it where, wherever I am. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk up to the camera here and... Uh, Hopefully you can see right there. See how that's, and I only touched that part right there. That's called up close 1080p. Now, I'm just going to lay that on there, and it's soaking in and spreading out. And it's changing the whole dynamic of this piece of paper. Completely changed. The effectiveness of this paper, how it looks, how it feels. What's my point? Which way are you going? When it comes to all the things that the world is doing, the world is saying, are you like this paper towel? Because Brothers and sisters, we can't be out there. We can't be walking around this culture and this society. We can't be immersing ourselves in social media and watching hours of CNN, MSNBC, and that other station that somebody doesn't want me to mention. It's a small little red animal with a fluffy tail. So the reality is we're like this piece of paper. Whether we see it or not, we're like this piece of paper and we're walking through society and depending on who we're brushing up against and the lovely Janine Cook will be here shortly to give an update on our equipping ministry and she's got a great illustration that fits with this as well. But for the sake of this illustration, this paper represents us as those who follow Jesus Christ. And as we walk around, if we're not hardened and steeled and we know what we're about and we're focused and we're set in place we can dip ourselves into that ugliness of the world all around us and there may be a skosh left on us but pretty much we're the same if we go in fragile untempered unprepared we can just be up against this and eventually we just soak it in without even really knowing I want you to hold on to that idea and I want you to think why are you espousing the different positions that you hold right now who's pulling your strings right now why are you being persecuted or insulted or why are you not being persecuted or insulted? Which way are you going? We all become similar to what we are surrounded by because of our nature to wick things. 
Now, sometimes that can be really, really good, but because of COVID, we have, as a church, been away from one another. We've been away from accountability. We've been away from not necessarily solid teaching because we can tune in, but we've been away from the interaction that can happen. We've been away from community prayer. We've been away from corporate worship. All of those things have an effect, and it starts to weaken us. Instead of being something that's steeled and tempered and ready for all good work, we become something that's fragile and will soak up anything. We have that challenge now as the church. Because we've been away from one another so much, my question to you is, what are you starting to personify? Is it Jesus Christ? That's what Jesus wants to know. Are you going to be like Jesus? He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you just because you're a liberal. Just because you're a conservative. Just because you're a libertarian. I'm going to just stop there because I'll get myself in trouble. He didn't say any of those things. He said because of personal pronoun, me. We talked about this with the first uh, uh, swipe at Jesus' command of blessed are you for being persecuted for righteousness sake. That there are those out there that are being persecuted but not because they're being like Jesus. They're being persecuted because they put themselves into those positions unnecessarily. Now, Jesus put himself into positions. Jesus stood up against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He spoke truth. He engaged the culture. So please hear me carefully, folks. We're in a war, and the way Jesus approached that war was to speak to it and to bring power to it. And to bring love to it, he never did it on his own. He always leaned on the power of his Father. And he instructs us in the same way. If we suffer these things because of him, not because of ourselves, tissue versus knife, who's pulling my strings? If we do this because of him, he says, you will be blessed. Your reward will be great. The church needs to be refocused to surround themselves with righteousness and the practice of worship and holiness. This is paramount. Throughout the history of, of mankind and the church, it has been so important that for the spiritual health of the people and the general health of the people, that we not negate worship. And many of us have probably gotten comfortable with the status quo that's happening now. I implore you, do not be comfortable with that. Yearn eagerly, like Paul talks about, for the opportunity to be gathered with the saints, that we might practice our giftedness, that we might engage with the dependency on Jesus Christ. We need to draw near to God, and he will draw near to us, James chapter 4. We have to pursue Jesus. Jesus himself says, ask and I will give you an answer. He says, knock, and I will open the door. He says, seek, and you will find. Because there is something else always close to us. And we wick 
those things into our thinking, into our soul, into our mind. There's always someone close waiting to pull our strings. Which way are you going? Well, that brings us to acrimony in your shadow, and that makes me think of Pinocchio, that there were nefarious things going on in that story, and he was naive, and he got himself into trouble, and it kind of is a story of redemption. We need to understand, if we're going to transfer out of this idea, that if, if we're going to wick things into our thinking, into our soul, into our, our spiritual life, then what are we surrounding ourselves with? We need to understand acrimony is always in our shadow. Unique thing about shadows, they're always right on you. I'm, I'm casting a shadow. It's, it's a very thin shadow. It's amazing what lighting can do to your profile. And so the shadow is always attached to you. You need to understand, I need to understand that that is how evil works. It is always lurking. God said to Cain, Sin is crouching at your doorstep. It seeks to devour you. Be careful, Cain. And he was dismissive. And we know the rest of the story. Well, I want to prove this point because Jesus is saying, look, you will be blessed if you are insulted, if you are persecuted, if individuals falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. How does this happen? Does it really happen? Well, let's look at Mark 14, the persecution of Jesus Christ. This is just one area, but I want to point it out to you. And as we look at it, we're, there, there's a whole lot here, but I want to remind you that in this chapter, Jesus is arrested. And in the arrest, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the guards of the high priest come along with Judas, and they come loaded for war. And Judas comes because he feels like justice was not served. And so he betrays his master, that who he followed, he who he loved deeply, the person who called him to a deeper life, someone who was in the inner circle. My friends, we're not just at war with somebody who's on TV. Many of you are at war with family members. I know of a family that because of COVID, One individual is very, very nervous about acquiring COVID and eventually succumbing to it. They're older. They're in their 90s. And their spouse doesn't really worry about it. So their spouse went to family gatherings and was around individuals who had contracted the virus. And this made the other spouse extremely upset and uncomfortable, and now there's division. This is what's happening all around our nation. Many of you are probably looking into, into your, your computer, your phone, your TV, whatever it is, and you're thinking of a certain circumstance. It may be related directly to you, it may be related to others. But my end of this story, fortunately, is one that came out with a semi-good answer. Before I get to that, let me just tell you that it almost came to complete division. 
Because one spouse said to the other, well, if you don't like it, you can leave. You can leave. I was there when they got married. Acrimony is in your shadow. And they thought about leaving. But in the midst of all that was going on, they felt like having peace was in sacrificing their own priority, their own concerns was more important. And they are blessed because from their very own spouse, they were insulted. They had insults hurled at them. This is happening everywhere. Whether it's COVID, whether it's just the normal problems of life, my counseling requests are shooting through the roof. Acrimony is in your shadow. So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He gets betrayed. Peter reaches out and lunges with a sword and cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear, and Jesus repairs it. Then they go, and this is shortly after Jesus predicts that Peter would deny him. And where I want to read for you tonight is when Jesus is before the council and says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Does this sound like what you're seeing on TV? That we don't like your message. And so we as a mob are going to come and we're going to grab you and we seek to kill you. There's nothing new under the sun. And here it is, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple, and on and on. And, and towards the end of this, the high priest says what? He says, Have you no answer to make? Because Jesus would not engage with them. He wouldn't satisfy them until there was an ultimatum. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You've heard blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him saying, prophesy, and the guards <clears throat> received him with blows. Does this sound like what we're seeing on our TV? Acrimony is in your shadow. Now what's happening with Peter? What's fascinating with this is that we see that Jesus is persecuted and, and false accusations are laid against him. This is a foreshadowing when he preaches the Beatitudes. You see, he knew this would happen. But not only did he know this would happen, he knew it would happen to the disciples. He knew it would happen to the church. He knows it will happen to you if you follow Christ. And so what happens to Peter? Well, the guy who pulled a sword and cut off someone's ear at least had the guts to follow Jesus to where the 
mock trial was. But many of you know the story that when someone saw him in the mob, think of this, this sounds so relevant to what I've seen on TV recently. When somebody screamed out, hey, 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 I know you. I saw you with Jesus. And Peter, fearing for his life, lied. And you know the rest of the story. It happens three times. Acrimony is in your shadow. What is it for you and I? Well, it's not just that. The disciples were persecuted. Acts 4, you can turn there with me. Uh, Acts 4, 27 through 31. All the disciples, when we look at history, were all martyred uh, and died horrible deaths. So listen carefully to this. Acts 4, again, 27 through 31. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What's happening here? There's a prayer meeting, there's a gathering, and these are the prayers of the disciples. And they recognize that through Herod and through Pilate, there is a war coming upon them and those who follow Jesus Christ. And so Peter, or, or whoever prays this prayer, beseeches the Lord and says, Stretch out your hand and heal. Because acrimony is always in your shadow. There are those who are against Jesus, and so they will be against you if you follow Jesus. So I just want to say at this point in time, we realize that things are escalating. And so here at CBC, we're going to be putting together prayer nights from now until the election. Because we want to see peace and healing in our land. And we're going to pray these same prayers. And so I'm hopeful, I have faith, that people will show up and they believe in the power of prayer. If you go forward to Acts 12, we see that the disciples are persecuted and James, the brother of John, Herod just for fun, because he thought it would impress the Gentiles, had John killed with the sword, executed in the public square. And he was ready to do the same to Peter. And you know, some of you know the story that Peter was enthroned in jail. We don't know why necessarily he waited. Maybe he wanted a larger crowd. We don't know what Herod was thinking there, but he waited long enough that God performed a miracle and released Peter, and Peter was able to return to the church that was gathered. In Hebrews, we see how the church is persecuted. Listen to this out of chapter 11. <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 32 through 38. And the writer of Hebrews talks about these heroes of the faith, but he has a realistic understanding. And so listen carefully, 32 through 38. And what more shall I say? For time would fall or fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, 
quench the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That sounds great, right? Well, that's part of the story. And in God's economy, in God's kingdom, he promises blessing. But there are also the challenges that in God's economy, there are challenging aspects of there are those who shall succumb to that torture, shall succumb to uh, what seems like a defeat in the midst of this war, and yet, in essence, they're being relieved of the battle. They're being relieved of the battle because this battle will continue until Christ returns, until sin is completely vanquished. And so at a certain point in time, God just brings you home and says enough is enough. Come receive that reward. And so he goes on and he says, The reality, though, is also what? Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that throughout the history of mankind, to follow God means for there to be a subsequent reaction against you. The wicking of those who are acrimonious in their efforts, they're always in your shadow. And if you are willing to stand up like Christ, if you're willing to stand up for Christ, there will be blood. Jesus says it. That's a foreign concept to most of us in the church in America. And that's my last point. So why, why does this happen? Why will we never conquer over this idea of racism? Why will we never conquer over social injustice? Why will we never conquer over the issue of, of uh, economic disparity? You know what's fascinating about economic disparity? As I've been around the world, some of the most fulfilled, content, happy people I've ever met were poverty-stricken. Yet for some reason here in America, if we don't have what everybody else has, it's an injustice. If we could show people that the more that you have, it actually becomes a burden, maybe we could start to eliminate some of it. If those who have so much would be more willing to share with those who are in need, maybe there would be an elimination to economic injustice. But why will we never conquer over this? Because of a three-letter word, sin. The malevolent, malevolent force called sin. It's always in the shadows. Think about the debate over COVID-19. The separation, destruction within families and churches because of getting our strings yanked. I just had our district superintendent sent me an email asking how I was doing. You know why he sent that email? 
He sent that email because this past week, maybe two weeks ago, uh, there's some headline news coming out within the evangelical community, and that is that pastors are just immensely discouraged. Discouraged because they haven't been able to be with their congregations. Discouraged because there's so much challenge. We have the blessedness of having a tech team that's in this room right now. Do you know how many churches don't have that? I was in a meeting recently where the question was asked, do you pre-produce your broadcast? And an individual said, yes, that's the only way to do it. That's what everybody's doing. And I dared to speak up and I said really I said we don't because I don't I don't have those capabilities at my fingertips this morning as I drove around because now we're doing evening church I drove around in my new community and I saw four churches that were meeting out in 95 degree heat one had about eight people sitting out on a curb in metal chairs all dressed up and I honked as I went by I was just so excited for them. The other probably had 40 to 50 people gathered in the parking lot. We'll make a way. But those churches don't have the tech team I have. They don't have the ability to broadcast to their church. And so pastors are getting discouraged left and right. And what Barna has found is that they believe in California, by the end of the year, one in five churches will be closed. That's why my superintendent was calling to find out how I'm doing. You know what? I'm doing great. I'm doing great because of point three. And I hope you're doing great. And we've taken some heat. I've taken some heat. And there's challenges. And one of the questions that was asked of me, so is your church at war with one another over masks? No masks? Mm, Not so much. Our church does a pretty good job of loving one another. There's people with definite opinions. But we've held held a pretty good line on making sure that it's about Christ first. But the problem that we have is sin. If you don't believe me, think about what just happened in the state of California this week. If I were to ask you Do you believe that it will be legal for pedophiles to act on their desires and they should be legitimized as just an individual group of people who have a sexual orientation like anybody else? And that pretty soon, pedophiles should be accepted just like anybody else in our society... And pretty soon, there will be a whole establishment of government that will vote not to prosecute pedophiles, a 24-year-old having sex with a 14-year-old one time. Our state legislature just voted that that individual should never go on a sexual reporting list. Now, if I had asked you that a month ago, do you believe that we're at that point? We have individuals in the schools that are teaching our children that pedophilia is just another orientation. This is happening. 
This is true. There are individuals that have come out in these TED Talks that have talked about how we need to legitimize pedophiles because after all they're humans and they're entitled to their rights and their feelings as well. I think it's interesting that the APA probably will rephrase their choice of words when talking about pedophilia. You see, in 1973, they changed... Now, I'm just I'm sharing with you the realities of what's here. Because I think it's hard for any of us to believe that the APA will classify pedophilia as a legitimate sexual orientation and there's nothing morally wrong with that or reprehensible with that. And yet, prior to 1973, the APA stated that homosexuality was a disorder. And yet, if you were to say something along those lines today, you would be seen as a bigot, you would be seen as a homophobe, you would be seen as somebody who is incredibly hurtful. Now think about the logic of this. If you're sitting here today and you're telling me that, yes, I think that it's wrong for a pedophile to not be prosecuted and put on a, on a sexual reporting list, or that we shouldn't be teaching pedophilia as just another legitimate sexual orientation. And you would probably find it hard to believe that that could ever happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're going that direction. And why is that happening? Because of a three-letter word called sin. Because sin requires, in this sense of acrimony, that one act of sin tears down morality and therefore... We can't classify another act of sin without affecting this other act of sin. And so we just need to declare all things permissible, regardless. I think there's a fascinating thing going on that we do not hear in the media like we should about how they have found children all over our nation. There's actually a uh, statement, an article that was in the New York not the New York Times, but something relevant to the New York Times, where uh, there was condemnation for a sting that netted, I think, a couple dozen uh, individuals that had gone to a place to seek to have sex with minors. And they got caught. And this article condemned it as entrapment. They're saying that you actually should have the child suffer that trauma in order to prosecute this individual. How on earth can that thinking be happening? It's because of sin. And if we want to disregard sin and say it doesn't exist, this is where we find ourselves. What's pulling our strings? Our problems in this country will not change. They will not change until we repent and take God and sin seriously. If we are dismissive of either or both, then we suffer our own demise. Then we need to be prepared for the fallout and how it will affect you and your family. My last point tonight is in wrapping up is righteousness is your banner. You've seen all these marches 
and you've seen all these signs that people are carrying left and right, and we believe in signs. Signs are good, right? It, it, it puts out our message and, and what, rep, what we want to be known for and, and represented by. Jesus was known for righteousness. And he says, if you want to have part in me, you need to take up your cross, or you can have no part in me. So what is our banner? Righteousness is our banner. So here's my question. This is cheesy, but what's your sign? What's your sign? It's time for the church to be willing to act like Jesus Christ. Get out of your convenient world, your sheltered world, and make a difference. Our um, outreach group and our care ministry formed uh, blessing bags. And uh, many people picked them up. I was talking with an individual this past week that picked one up. And they had an incredible interaction with somebody who couldn't believe that someone would do that and care for and give. And they felt like they didn't deserve that kind of graciousness. And what a great message of care and righteousness. Why did our... our, uh, our sister in Christ is part of our church. Do that. Why did our two groups make uh, deep efforts to create those blessing bags? Because we need to hold the banner of righteousness. We need to do what Jesus did. And at this time, when the world is so dark all around you, this is the time for us to stand up and be like Jesus. It makes a difference. It's real. Tonight I've challenged you to live on the promises of Jesus Christ. I challenge you now to go see if it's real. Put your banner up. Go out into your family. Go out into your kith. Go out into your world. And wear that banner of righteousness. Just so you know, I'm not talking about like, you know, don't wear the little you know, thing right here. You know. What I'm talking about is be like Christ. That's what he's saying. And when that persecution comes, you rejoice. You say, they persecuted Christ, that means they're seeing Jesus in me. Don't be a fool about it. Don't be rude about it. But be like Christ. Especially at this time. Open Doors is a ministry that's worldwide. They tell us now that over 100,000 uh, people died uh, because of Christ in the year 2013. There are genocidal levels of persecution happening in Nigeria for Christ right now. China tore down 5,500 churches in the past few months in 2020. And I don't have the time to go on and on and on. But recently, there was a political group that declared war upon the church in the past few months. And they stormed down churches they entered into church buildings. They terrorized individuals in those churches. There are individuals that have been beaten because of their proclamation of faith during some of these marches. It's time for the persecution to become rampant here, my friends. It's time for the church to start stepping up and acting like Jesus Christ without excuse. It's time to realize that our reward is in heaven Stop holding on to the stuff that's around you. Wear the banner of righteousness. Prepare yourself the way Paul instructs out of Ephesians 6. Prepare with the word of God. Prepare with prayer. 
prepare with, with salvation, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Work hard because if you go in without the firmness and the steadiness of those things, build it into your life so that that sinful world around you doesn't wick onto you, you're going to be like this paper. Let me give you a couple things in closing. Number one, I encourage you to fight. What? Pastor's encouraging you to fight? I encourage you to fight like Jesus did. Jesus didn't sit back in, in, in Peter's little uh, house there in Beth, Bethsaida. He went out. And he proclaimed the gospel message. He proclaimed the kingdom message. He cared for those who were hurting he was in the midst of all of that. And when it became a little too tumultuous and they wanted to kill him, take into account, he kind of snuck out the back door. There were times where Jesus would remove himself when things got too tumultuous. But Jesus always spoke against injustice. And he always spoke the message of the kingdom. In that way, fight. But you also have to look at it the way Jesus looked at it. As he hung on the cross... And as he had been spit on, as he had been beaten, as he had been pummeled, as he had been scourged, he looked down upon those people in this hour of death and hideous death. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How do we wear a banner of righteousness? We act like that. In the midst of all these things that are trying to pull our strings. Here's five things, six things, five things that I want to give to you. Number one, you've got to start with salvation. You want to be like Jesus, you got to know Jesus. you got to pursue him. you got to ask. you got to seek him. you got to make that step of faith to say, I believe that Jesus loves me and cares for me and that I have this inherent problem of sin. I see it. I do some things that are not good, that are not cool. I'm desperately lost that. And so submit yourself to God. Recognize that and ask that Jesus would become Lord of your life. And then you are part of the kingdom of heaven. Next, if you've done that and you're not baptized, I don't have a logical reason in the world why you are not baptized. And this is the perfect time for you to step up and say, I am about Jesus Christ. And if you're worried about someone mocking you or someone persecuting or hurling insults to you, good. This is one step where you can step up and you can be wearing the banner of righteousness. Outreach, the month of October, the rest of mid-September through October, we're going to have an outreach focus here at CBC. Prepare for that, and we're going to prepare you for that, where you can go and be Christ to people all around your neighborhood, all around your world. Preparation of your heart. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. You want the peace of God that transcends all understanding? You want to have that blessing in your life? You want to see the kingdom of heaven? Then you have to prepare your heart. That means you have to invest in those things. And because we haven't been able to gather, many of us have been lazy in our approach to our faith. Get back into preparing your heart so that you're not wicking the world into your life. Then understand that we have to have a motivation that's heavenly focused. Check yourself. You will be blessed and persecuted for your choice to speak for Christ. But that's just it. Will you? Will you speak for Christ? Will you speak for Christ in the greatest hour of need for our country, for our families, and for our churches? Let me ask 
Miss Janine Cook to come on up and just pray over us, and then she's going to share real briefly a ministry moment. Pray with me, would you? (sighs) Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for your righteousness. And I'm so thankful that ultimately you are sovereign over all. And Lord, I look to you. um, We look to you as a church, as a community, as a nation to do what you alone can do and work in our hearts and minds for your kingdom purposes. Father, please help us to be um, concerned first and foremost with what you think, trusting you for the strength and the ability to be the hands and feet of Jesus in all circumstances and to trust you for the outcome. Father, um, the words tonight are so convicting from your word, and we want to please you, and yet I humbly confess that I don't seek conflict, and I don't seek persecution, but ultimately, Lord, I do want to honor you and make you look good, shine for you, a light on you. I do want my life the life of my family, my church family, my community of believers near and far to make you look beautiful as you are, to shine a light on who you are and the goodness of you. Lord, I pray that all we say and do would represent you well and give you the glory due you, and that we would trust you for the outcome in all circumstances. Father, may we continue to wrestle with what we've heard tonight, and again, um, not just be hearers of the word, but doers, and to actually um, speak and act as you would have us. And I thank you for the beautiful example of Christ who um, sought after the marginalized the downtrodden, the burdened, the lowly, the humble, the hurting, and the sick of every race and creed. Father, may we do the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.